Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. It is the Thursday Club. And today, we'll be looking ahead to Saturday's trip to the seaside. We face the seagulls of Brighton and Hove Albion, who are one place above us in the league. Sixth versus seventh. It should be a very high-quality football match. Very excited to head back down to the Amex again. We'll also do the final word on Saturday's win over Forest in part two. I'm chatting to new chair of the Fulham Supporters Trust, Simon Duke, and there is plenty on the itinerary with him, given all of the Leeds ticket debacle. And we'll end the podcast, as ever, with your correspondence on email, and this will catch on. I am joined by the regular Thursday club today of Jack Collins. Hello. Hello, mate. How you doing? I am fine, thank you. And Peter Rutzler, hello. Hello, Sammy. Hello, Jack. How are we? Good. Nice to have you properly back on this week, Peter. Obviously, we managed to get your five-minute cameo from the uh, the cafe in Sunderland last year, uh, last week. But it's nice to have you back home at Rutzler HQ. <laughs> Rutzler, yeah. Rutzler Towers, <laughs> where relegations are, are, are planned and uh, <laughs> crafted. Um, yeah, I enjoyed I enjoyed that cafe last week. Biz R, that's what it was definitely called. Very good. Would recommend. Very artsy. Nice, yeah. nice. Yeah, well, good. next time good we face team. Sunderland, they're flying at the moment. They got another win over our local rivals QPR last night. You never know. Could be a trip to Wearside. I was about to say Teesside, but no, I, don't, I don't, very bad don't get that wrong. Don't get no. that wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Teesside's Middlesbrough, Wearside Sunderland, Tyneside Newcastle. Newcastle. Yeah. I get a good one of this because the blocks in my uh, college at Durham were named after the rivers and so therefore it was there was like a Sunderland fan in one of the blocks called Tyne and he really didn't like that he really really didn't like it so yeah one of the one of those ones that I learned very quickly nice nice all right let's get into um, your thoughts from uh, Saturday's win over Forest Uh, and Jack it was just it was just a complete performance wasn't it it was a small shaky spell um, where I was bit worried that it won all um i mean the two headline performances really although there were some great performances all over the pitch were kind of the age-defying duo of um tim ream and willian 35 34 and just pulling up so many trees this season beautiful to see yeah absolutely and tim ream in particular i think obviously willian got given the the man of the match award and it didn't feel harsh but it felt harsh on tim ream mm. yeah i think is probably the, the the way of putting it it was a masterclass in composure at the back was how i put it and and then you you know add that to some of the raking passes that we know that you know silver's talked about and we've talked about silver talking about a couple of times on the podcast the raking passes and he's talked about tosin in that regard i mean like this is what he brings to the team is long passing especially out wide we saw 
that utilized against Chelsea to great effect in the in the home game. And then you kind of look at it and you go, wow, Bream's pulling these out of the locker now as well. You know, we've known his short passing, his ability to to beat a player and break the lines has been incredible for a long time. But suddenly he's pulling out these raking crossfield passes on top of everything else. Um, and there was just so many wonderful moments. I was on ranks talking about this game and we were talking about the fact that the Brennan Johnson one in particular, he's not just sent him, you know, for a hot dog. He sent him down the road for a pint of milk, a bag of chips, you know, see you next week kind of kind of jobby. That's the kind of one, if you get that in, in Saturday League, Sunday League football, you just ask to be subbed. Hands up. <laughs> like, see you later. Like, manager, get me off. <laughs> Making the substitution gesture. It's one of those. You can't you can't be been done like that by a centre-back. It's absolutely illegal. So, yeah, I, I thought it was it was wonderful in so many ways. And and generally, what performance from both. But you're right. I, I thought it was, in so many ways, a complete performance from Fulham. And to be honest, we were unlucky not to be 3-0 ahead at the break. And and I think that that's usually a, a good sign in terms of performance. Sometimes you don't get the just rewards if you don't convert those chances. But Anna Solomon obviously made it 2-0. We survived that shaky spell, as you say, at 1-0, where there was a couple of big chances. Then I made a couple of good saves. And I thought that a result where no one really could could argue with in, in, in kind of completion. And Peter, I think in terms of Fulham's run of fixtures, both before and after, picking up three points against Forest could be pretty vital because there was a danger with the run of fixtures that actually Fulham, if we didn't beat Forest, I was like, I'm not 100% sure where the next win would necessarily come from. We'd obviously not picked up results um, again, or not picked up wins against Spurs, Newcastle, then Chelsea. Brighton's a difficult game. Wolves are resurgent. Then you've got Brentford away. Not an easy game. Then you've got Arsenal. Then you've got Liverpool. There was a danger if you didn't win this that Fulham could actually have gone six, seven games without a win. Now, I don't think that's going to happen because I think this Fulham team's good enough to win some of the games coming up. But you would have argued if you can't beat Forest, then you're not going to easily beat the teams that are coming because it's a t- very tough run of fixtures. So just to get that nice 2-0 win in there just opens up some more breathing room for Fulham, takes the pressure off all these games that are coming up, which are difficult. Yeah, it it changes the picture a bit, doesn't it? Um, especially when you're coming into a game having not scored in three games. Of course, they were tough matches, um, Newcastle, Spurs, Chelsea. Um, but it, it just, it, as you say, eases the pressure a little bit um, during what is actually quite a, a tough run, you know, a really yeah. quite decisive sort of run. And I, obviously it reflects the the start of the season. And, and, and back in August, we, we talked about how Fulham really didn't have a soft landing. It had one of the toughest starts, I think, of, of any team. Uh, and it was the way that they came through those run of fixtures that made us all think, okay, they, they could do something quite impressive this season. And repeating the trick is is difficult. And I think, it, including with with Wolves coming up, you know, these are teams, and there are teams now with with new momentum, with with new outlooks and and managers, um, and certainly some with a lot more players too. Um, so there's always going to be that challenge. And I, I think, as you say getting three points, starting this run now is a really positive thing. And, you know, as Jack was saying, the performance was so good. Like it was um, really professional. And um, I think it was um, Alison Rudd in the Times called, described the team as playing with elegant self-belief. And that's mm. probably the best that's way beautiful. to describe the team at the moment. Um, there is such a self-assuredness about them, uh, a real 
visceral confidence um, defined by players like Tim Ream playing out of their skin and playing uh, so at ease in the system, in the style. Uh, there's no fear really at all. There's a real understanding of what they want to do, what they're capable of and playing to their strengths. And um, that was completely defined by the performance against Forest Shaw. I mean, there was that nervy spell after halftime. It was it was inevitable with a with a 1-0 lead. And, you know, Forest are in good nick themselves. We were five unbeaten coming into the game. So there was always the chance they'd come back. But, uh, you know, the, the Fulham have reached a, a level this season that, I think it's far exceeded what anyone expected. Um, and it, and it was reflected in a performance like that. Um, and that's why they're, they are where they are on the table. And that's why, you know, they're, they're not in a relegation battle. Let's look ahead then to Brighton at the weekend, Jack. Uh, always a love a trip down to the Amex. I haven't been since, I've only been once and it was the infamous Darren Bent uh, is to the Fulham fans game where then Lassavig and Christensen scored in the, uh, in the dying embers to, to make it 2-1, which is obviously a very enjoyable afternoon. Um, how times have changed, really. That day uh, it was a lowly championship match. Now it's a top seven battle in the in the Premier League, sixth versus seventh. And all in all, like if I was a neutral looking to go to a Premier League game this weekend, sure, maybe Southampton Leeds might have the narrative to it. But yeah. Brighton Fulham, I think, for terms of quality football, must be the match. Yeah, I think it's a really good matchup and it's a good tester of, of where Fulham are, I think, generally. You know, there's been all this talk about whether Fulham have the capacity to to get into these European spaces and genuinely compete for them. And we've, you know, given our thoughts on, on where Fulham stand in that regard. But I think this is the kind of game that you go, right, if you can win this, then there's absolutely no reason why that doesn't, you know, continue in. And, and we talked about this kind of tough February, March time that goes into an easier on paper April. But, you know, Brighton have been exceptional this year. They went very, very smoothly from that transition from Potter into Deserby. Fulham beat out this Brighton side relatively comfortably. Obviously, the scoreline got a bit nippy at the end, but Fulham were the better side that day at Craven yeah. Cottage, or that, that evening, should I say. Mm. And it felt like it was like, okay, cool. This is a good Brighton side. And we've pretty much had their number for 60, 70 minutes of this game. Now, I think they've improved since then, but they're not on the best run of form themselves. You know, this is, I think it's one win, one win in the last three. In And even that was a very, very late Karamatoma header against Bournemouth, where Bournemouth have defended pretty resolutely, I thought, throughout mm. that game. They do to all with Leicester, who are back on the up a little bit fine. And then they dominated against Crystal Palace away in the rivalry, shall we say, rather than Derby, and still managed to, to drop two points. And so actually you come into this game and you think, oh, Brighton on a little bit of a wobble. Now I'd imagine Nottingham Forest were thinking exactly the same coming to Craven Cottage at the weekend. So I'm wary of, of making too much of it. This is a good side. They know how to score goals. They're dangerous on both flanks. Obviously, Matoma has been a revelation, but Solly March on the other side been absolutely exceptional for the last sort of month, I think. It's a side with so much quality in it. We know that, you know, what McAllister can do. We know what Caicedo can do. There's a reason that both were linked to massive moves in January. At the back, it's very settled. And, uh, you know, I think the Zerbi's come in and done a really, really good job there. But, you know, we've seen this side or most of it before. We've been able to handle this side or most of it before. And I think that Fulham, off the back of that win against Forest, can go into this game 
relatively free of pressure because it now is looking upwards in the table. And I think that even maybe the most negative of us who were wary that the teams at the bottom were digging into each other and starting to claw up the table will look at a 17 point buffer with 18 games to go for most teams and or for the for the for the lowest played teams at the very least 16 games to go for for most and think that's probably enough isn't it that, that's probably enough to, to get the job done whatever happens we can't see them picking 17 18 more points up or at least two three of them picking that amount up so Fulham go into this game and go well we're looking upwards run downwards now and I know Peter spoke to, to Marco about this or at least he keeps saying no one game at a time the main aim is survival and that's completely fair enough but at some point Fulham go well that's probably achieved. Why don't we look up and let the let loose a little bit? And this feels like the kind of game where that might just happen. Yeah, Peter, I wanted to come on to um, the piece that you wrote in The Athletic after the Forest win, which was kind of looking at Fulham's breadth of attacking quality on the pitch. And there was this kind of weird narrative going around after the Sunderland game that Fulham are reliant on Mitrovic and Pereira, yet Solomon was our 12th different scorer this this season. Um, and your piece was just looking at that now kind of attacking variety um, that we have on the pitch now that people have returned from injuries, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, I mean, I think we can all understand that Mitrovic is absolutely key to, to, to Fulham and not, not just goals. And I think that's been a consistent message that's we've been trying to say for, for a long time that it's what, where Fulham probably are more reliant on him as much as his goals have been incredible is actually in his all round play. Um, and that's what Fulham sort of need from their backup. They need that player who can be a focal point in this system that brings others into play. Um, but yeah, you're right. This, this sort of idea came around and I mean, it's not, I mean, it's not intrinsically wrong. I mean, take Mitrovic and Pereira out of the team and, you know, Fulham are very different. Um, you know, you think about Pereira and his influence from set plays and, and things like that. Um, it was brought up in the in the press conference before the uh, the game against Forest, and, and Silver made the point that, yeah, you know, it's probably right, but, you know, you could do that, say that to any team and yeah. take out their best players and suddenly they're, they're, they're very different. <laughs> take out Matoma and McAllister from Brighton and they're not quite looking as good as they are. No, no, exactly. Um, and I think, I think Silver was also keen to try and just get across, you know, we're Fulham, we've just been promoted to the Premier League. You can't be expecting us to have two Mitrovic's and two Pereira's without necessarily saying as much. Um, but yeah, no, obviously Solomon's goal meant that Fulham have got 12 different goal scorers this season. And I think one thing that's been interesting about this team has been that variety in attacking attacking areas and, and where they're finding goals. You know, we've talked about their set play prowess um, and how that really does give them an edge. Um, and that ability to do that in different areas is key. And, and Silver's teams have always had various goal scorers, whether it be wingers or attacking midfielders. Um, you know, Sigurdsson, I think, was his top scorer in his full season at Everton, Costas Fortunas at Olympiacos. Um, you can go on. There's there's loads of examples. So um, I think it's important that Fulham have a, a variety of goal scorers, that those in wide areas do contribute um, because Mitrovic won't be able to score every week. It may not happen every week. He may He's in a, what is a, a four-game run now without a goal, which I think is his longest under Silva. Mm. Um so there's always that, and naturally the debate comes around, oh, you know, Mitrovic is struggling and, and this and that. Um, I think he, Silver did say he picked up a knock in the warm-up, um, but then played for it anyway. He seemed fine first half, I just think he faded quite drastically in the second. Um, 
and I think his all-round play was good, has been good in the last couple of games. And I think that's it, it goes unnoticed a lot of the times because it's, it's just assessed on whether he's put the ball in the net. But um, if, general- if he scored, if, if Kalor Navas doesn't produce a wonder save from that um, chance where he spun two Forest players, we'd all be saying Mitrovic is back. And it's, it's, it, I mean, TM Scott Parker, but fine margins. Like it goes to the other side of the post and we're all kind of denouncing the return of Mitrovic, etc. Like, I, it's it, it, yes, he was poor in the second half against um, Forest, but I, I think Mitrovic is getting there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's the, the problem he's got is he set a rod for his own back, hasn't he, with his goal scoring last year and obviously starting the season so strongly. Mm. Um, <laughs> big things are expected. So when he beats two players sitting two to the floor and then doesn't quite stick it in the bottom corner, it um, it, it changes the the perception a bit. But yeah, I, I look, I I think the the takeaway was that. Fulham have goal scorers and it's good to see Solomon now pushing Willian. Willian's hitting incredible heights that no one expected. Um, but there is that variation. There's that depth. There was, there was the worry back in August that's there in attacking areas. And um, that's why coming into this game, you know, Fulham aren't looking at relegation. You know, Jack mentioned about the the topic of reassessing targets. And, and honestly, Silver's asked about it every week now. It's a bit like last season, the championship where he's asked about... Um, Mitrovic's goal scoring and mm. what records is he going to get when you're going to get promoted it feels like we're nearly there now where Fulham can go yeah I, I don't think Fulham are going down you know that it's not going to happen I mean I think they need to lose all 15 of their remaining games that's only happened once before in the Premier League and that was Sunderland when they finished rock bottom um it's just it's 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 not going to happen. <laughs> yeah um, even even still I don't I don't know if three teams are going to get to 35 points no, no, that's possible. Um, I, I, you know, you never know. Teams have gone down with thirty-nine and forty in the past, so you can never be too sure. No, sure. But, uh, but given I, the state at the bottom of the table, and given how many teams are down there scrapping each other, I actually yeah. think it's it's very it would be very difficult to um, see what, what are we what are we talking seven wins for Sunderland in their yeah. remaining uh, Sunderland Southampton, sorry, in in, in their remaining sixteen games. I mean, whoever they get in as manager, it looks like it's not going to be Jesse Marsh now, but that would be a turnaround of absolutely like gargantuan feats. And that's, you know, without looking at the, the rest of the teams down in the pack. That's it. And that's what makes this period really interesting because we're clearly at a point now where targets will shift. They have to shift because, you know, as we said, Fulham are unlikely to go down and it's where where's the bar set? And, you know, it's always going to be, and you'll speak to any player and you'll speak to, you say something to Marco Silver, it'll be, we've got to win the next game. The focus is on the next game. And that's what got them through the championship um, and, and won them the league. And that's, that's what's certainly serving them well this year. But at the same time, if you take the, the fact that through half of the season, Fulham finished, put themselves into the top eight, top seven, top six, Having played everyone once, well, why can't the task just be right? Just do it again, which is always an optimistic thing, and and I guess it's all about managing expectations because we forget that they're newly promoted. <laughs> this is a newly promoted team, um, but you know this this is just how you you maximise result, maximise performance, and that that will be an element to it. Is how do you maximise Fulham success this season? You've got what you seems like you've hit one target. So what's what's next? I guess unlike last season, there is no pressure to hit anything beyond staying hmm. up uh, like last season we had to win the league we had to and I think everyone would have been gutted if we didn't and 
maybe at one point there was kind of targets of like, oh, we're going to get 100 points and that kind of quite quickly um, dissipated. I'm interested to see if Burnley can go one better than us um, this season, given the run that uh, that they've been on. But this season, I guess maybe the target from, from the wider target, it's just got to be to finish somewhere that doesn't end up feeling like a disappointment. I, I think we can all still say, oh yeah, I'd still bite your hand off a 17th. And yes, if that was the option, of course, I'd still take it. But that would, if we somehow ended up 14th, 15th, that would actually be quite a disappointment from where we are this season. And I think that would hit the squad kind of hard. They wouldn't admit it. I think the whole policy of just taking a game at a time seems eminently sensible. And wherever we end up, if it ends up being conference league, slightly outside, 10th, whatever it is, it's still going to be a phenomenal achievement. Um, Jack, let's look a bit at Brighton. Mm. I'd love to know from your perspective as someone that uh, is much more knowledgeable about uh, the world of football, is there a better run club in your opinion, or certainly a smarter club in terms of buying and selling players than Brighton and Hove Albion? I'm sure you're going to pick something up from the Greek third division um, where they're doing something uh, a little bit better than Brighton. But yeah, I mean, what a job the whole club is doing. And considering it got gutted of everyone that like was made it good and they're still seeming to pull up trees, um, it is incredibly impressive what they're doing there on the South Coast. And if there's ever been a model for Fulham to follow, not that we're quite as statistically minded as Brighton, it is surely got to be that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure there is a, a better on club in terms of where they are and, and kind of the stature that they're kind of messing with. It's not a, it's one thing being able to do this in the lower leagues and pull players in and, and move them around fine, but you're competing at the top level with clubs that are, you know, splashing 300 million in the January transfer window alone, right? And and at the moment doing doing better than them. I mean, the obvious one is that mob down the road, but I'm not going to say they're doing a better job. Um, but you look at it and it's a it's a very smart model in, in so many ways. The club, I think, that probably do it best outside of the UK is someone like Sassuolo, who seem to be able to, to pick up the same things. And I don't think it's any coincidence that, that, that Roberto De Zerbi of all people, has ended up at Brighton in a club that thinks similarly. And, and so you, you look at these teams and maybe maybe Shakhtar actually probably worth consideration they had that period where they were picking up jewels from Brazil on a really really you know sensible basis and selling them on for multi-million pound deals and I think that you look at these clubs and you think it's incredible and, and look we often talk about keeping hold of players and letting other players go and what Brighton are, are brilliant at and Leicester used to be very good at this as well is having replacements ready for when a player leaves and it's not necessarily a oh we'll sign a replacement it's having a replacement who's already a year into the system people forget that Moises Caicedo wasn't signed this season you know he he has exploded into the forefront of the limelight this season but he wasn't signed this season he was given that time to develop to acclimatize to get used to the system the club Premier League football the way that they were going to play and and that's I think where they're maybe the best of, of the lot in that the players aren't brought in. Brentford are brilliant at replacing players they sell at huge fees for much smaller fees. Brighton have already got the players and you see the signings they made in January. And I think, you know, they signed a winger, for, no, a centre midfielder, sorry, from, from AIK in Sweden, who's meant to be absolutely sensational. I, I, you know, he's, he's too young to have watched any real minutes of him, even, even on like Scout or anything. So there's not much you can work with. 
But you look at, you know, the model that they're going and, and obviously that person is intended or earmarked at some point as a long-term midfield replacement for someone like Caicedo who had those 70 million pound offers. Brighton are brilliant at putting their foot down when they don't want to sell. We're like, we're not selling Caicedo in this January window because it doesn't matter how much money you put on the table. We haven't, we don't feel that we have adequate replacements to actually work with him. And they've gone to him and, you know, he's clearly been like, I want to leave, I want to get to the top of the game, fine. But they've gone to him, look, hang on, give us six more months. He's back in the side, you know, with all of that, there was no strop. There was no, he's not playing well anymore. There was no downing of tools. He's back in the side. He's back in the setup. And I think when the offer comes in, which it will in the summer, they will let him go. But at the time it was like, this isn't right for us. So we're not doing it. And and I think that that's what is the kind of big markers of a well-run club. It's not putting your foot down indefinitely. It's not saying you can never leave. We can never be a seven stone. Cause that's part of the reason that players will come to a club like Brighton is that, when the opportunity comes for them to move on at the right time, the club will let them go. But it's on Brighton's terms. It's always on Brighton's terms. And I think you can see from, from what they've achieved with it that those terms are working for them. And I think that's something that you know most clubs who haven't got Chelsea money to spend should be aiming towards because that's a sensible way of manoeuvring yourself into the upper echelons of the table and building a sustainable squad that can say that. It is, though, a risky model. Southampton were good at it for a while. They're not anymore. And that process went stale. So you have to keep modernizing. You have to keep changing. And you, it's, it's a risky game because sometimes you sell too many of your best players, a.k.a. Southampton, and you then end up in a situation that nobody wants to be in. But Brighton have seen at the moment to have it down to a T and they can only be credited for that. Yeah. Um, Peter, looking through this squad... There's so many good players from World Cup winner Alexis McAllister. Kyra Matoma has been brilliant. Esther Pinyan, a fantastic player. You've got the experience of Lewis Dunk at the back. Sanchez in goal, despite his slight clangor against Palace, is a brilliant keeper. Um, Solly March, I still love the statistic that he's never scored in March. Um, there's so many talented players. And going up against this, this Fulham side, it's going to be a real marker I think of how far Fulham have come if we can get a result at Brighton against this quality of side and also the piece the missing piece of the puzzle I think for Brighton for a while has been a striker Welbeck's done an all right job but Evan Ferguson seems to have slotted right into this side and um, I'm sure Jack's very excited that he looks like a hot prospect well, he's smiling down there on the screen well, so well beaten five ballon <laughs> doors incoming <laughs> I, th- I think that's one element that they will want to factor in a bit more is using their academy. So having someone like Ferguson come in and, and, and step into the team as effectively as they have, as he has is um, testament to the direction and what they're building there. Um, you're right in terms of the, the quality they have at their disposal. I think Welbeck's injured, so there'll be a question mark about who, who leads the line. Um, but in terms of what Fulham can bring, Fulham enter the game and with their, you know, in really good nick, in good form. Obviously, there'll be a question mark about whether I think Mitrovic should be okay. Uh, didn't seem to be okay for 80 minutes, so unless anything's happened there. Obviously, the injury to Willian will be a, an issue and um, we'll have to see how how he is at the end of the week. But, you know, Solomon seems ready enough now to to step in and make his mark and um, he's gradually been reintegrated into the team and I think we, it is just a matter of time before he gets that start. I think what I think Jack's pretty much covered a lot of this already, but I've been so impressed with the way Deserbi has come in and, and not really tweaked too much. 
but has added in the right areas in terms of their system, their style, um, their front-footedness, their ability to consistently control matches. Um, I mean, even the, the, the Palace game when they drew one all, they were completely dominant, you know, and that's, that's I suppose the, the legacy of Graham Potter there was not having that cutting edge, uh, not having that final sort of piece of the puzzle that can turn those good underlying numbers um, into consistent ones that climb you, that climb you up the table. Um, but we're starting to see that now. We're starting to see players chip in. The likes of Matoma, who's you know has been a revelation really, and underlining underlining what Jack was saying in terms of the the policy of having players ready made, ready to step in when when a big player goes. And you know, for most teams, losing a Trossard would be destabilizing. Um, but it hasn't been <laughs> barely noticeable, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's as if it never happened. So um, that's that's just testament to the way they run. And I think they're they're a model that most clubs should look to 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 follow. I mean, the only one that slightly annoys me this weekend is I don't think Alexis McAllister should be playing. That uh, that tackle that he did, I don't know which Palace player it was, but it was a very high tackle. I think on another day could have been a uh, a red card. I don't think it was any worse than what Tyrick Mitchell did to Kenny Tete or maybe Jao Felix did to Kenny Tete. Um, or anyone's done to Kenny Tete, really. Yeah, basically <laughs> everyone in the league's had a go at um, trying to um, two-foot Kenny Tete or high-tackle him anyway. So, um, yeah, from a Fulham perspective, um, you mentioned the uh, potential Willian injury there, Peter. Otherwise, I'd probably expect a pretty much full-strength side. Um, a week off, a nice week. I'm sure Marcus Silva will have appreciated um, not having to do a schlep to Sunderland uh, in the middle of this week. So, yeah, I guess we'll see in the press conference if there are any more fitness injuries. The only disappointment, obviously, against Forrest was uh, was TC being out for a few weeks and doubt, doubt he'll be back for this one either. No, no, he'll be... It was two to three weeks is what Silva said, but I think the type of injury seems to be on his ankle that... We may not see him for a little bit, um, which is a shame because, you know, he was fantastic at Sunderland and seemed to be building up some really good momentum to actually challenge that that unmovable trio. Mm. Um, and obviously now he's got Sasa Lukic's competition who looked really quite sharp in his sort of two, three minutes on the field. Um, I thought he was going to score at one point. I got very excited and then it kind of didn't happen. Yeah, he was sort of played in a free role. He was played in the Pereira role, which I don't think he... I don't think is the, is the position we'll see him mostly for Fulham, but he was really good, just popping up into spaces, a lot of energy, clearly a lot of adrenaline that, that went into that cross that he sort of ballooned out for a goal kick. Um, but no, I, that would probably be the only question, Marcus, is when when Lukic gets to that point. Silva talked about the adaptation of both him and, and Cedric after the, after the Forest game, and they're both very different. You know, Cedric knows all the stuff, like knows Silva's style, knows the Premier League. He's ready if, if called upon. Um, whereas with Lukic doesn't know the language it's a new country it's a new home so there's a lot more adaptation and we'll need a little bit more time before he probably makes makes a mark but you know injuries can happen very quickly and suddenly he may be relied upon so if his cameo is anything to go by then that's really encouraging um, but yeah the only question mark would be really that is Willian and it's, you know, it's I mean it, it speaks volumes about how well he's done that it's quite a worry if he doesn't play because he's just been outstanding. He's just he was he was almost unplayable. I thought against Forest, especially in that first half, it was it was ridiculous. Um, but the, the encouraging thing is Solomon's there now, and and that rotation is uh, should bode well. 
Yeah, that little uh, time machine that's in uh, Mottsburg Park has done a wonderful job on uh, Willian and uh, and Tim Ream. So uh, long may it continue. Uh, and uh, hopefully it'd be a nice trip down to the South Coast. And uh, we've had an all right record down there. There was that one time that we lost 5-0 that was, um, that was pretty grim. But other than that, an okay run. Uh, it was the game in uh, the Yukanovich season where we drew 2-2, Jack, where I, a lot of people have the theory that that's when uh, Fulham unraveled and it was all downhill after that day wasn't it yeah i watched that game in belgrade so it was it was a strange one in so many ways it was a, a really odd odd place to be watching fulham but they had fulham on everywhere because obviously at the time Mitrovic and, and Jukanovic were, were both at the club and i think Mitrovic gave away a really silly handball and yes that was that i'm actually also away this weekend i have no idea where i'm going i've been taken away um whisked away to a mystery location so i'll let you know where i get to watch brighton fulham from is it the Amex Stadium? No, no, I don't think so. No, I mean, if so, if so, we're going to Brighton for an extremely long time. Like, I don't think anyone oh, okay. needs four days in Brighton if they're uh, <laughs> if they're going down for the game. So we shall see. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll feed back to you on next week's Thursday club. Oh, I can't wait to find out. All right, we're going to take a break there. Afterwards, I'm going to be speaking to Simon Duke from the Fulham Supporters Trust. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast it is just Sammy here and I'm joined by Simon Duke from the Fulham Supporters Trust. Uh, it's your first time on Fulhamish. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much, Sammy. Uh, well, might as well start with uh, congratulations. Newly elected chair of the Supporters Trust uh, towards the end of last year. Um, yeah, congratulations. A uh, big job and uh, no doubt a, a very proud moment for you and your family to, to get that position. Proud moment for me and big shoes to fill. Sadly, uh, a bit like a certain prime minister, you haven't had a lot of time to uh, get your feet under the table and uh, and get settled because um, there's always uh, things to do um, at Fulham. And obviously, uh, one of the first uh, things you've done as chair was on Saturday to be part of the celebration day. Uh, I thought it was another beautifully poignant thing that the Fulham Supporters Trust um, has, has done. And... Um, yeah, that must have been uh, quite the moment to be on the pitch um, when those names were being read out. And I, I think, honestly, it is one of the best things that like the Fulham fan base has done in recent years is to get that over the line. Because actually, I feel like we're now properly honouring ordinary Fulham fans that wouldn't necessarily get a minute silence because, well, you'd be doing three a week. But it's nice that they get their moments read out on the speakers at Craven Cottage. And I'm sure the one thing that all of those people had in common was that they loved Fulham Football Club. Absolutely. And, and what brought it home to me this year, because last year was the first one for some years and it was a bit of catch up. So there are a lot of people there who had passed some years previously. For example, my father was there. He passed away five years ago. Um, this year, it was just people who we've lost in the last 12 months. And when I saw the proofs of the programme last week and saw how many people there were there, associated with Fulham, I think it was was well over 80. You know, that brings it home to you, how many true and loyal people we lose. And you're absolutely right. The one common thread there is is a love of Fulham. Yeah, 
Well, it's uh, it's a really good thing, and um, fingers crossed that that can stay as a permanent fixture on the calendar because uh, beautifully done. To me, it's a good example of how we we can work with the club to deliver these things. It really was a joint effort, and. From what I hear, it was very, very well received. Yeah, yeah, certainly well received in the stands um, near me. Simon, let's come on to what feels like the pressing issue of the hour, which is ticket prices. Once again, not a new topic, not a new topic for people listening to this podcast, not a new topic for Fulham fans in general. It's been a burning issue for about five or six years now. Um It feels like these Leeds ticket prices, priced at £40 for all stands across the ground, um, could potentially be the straw that breaks the camel's back. Um, first of all, what was the FST's reaction to these uh, ticket prices? Well, the, F- the FST's reaction is the same as to any ticket pricing, and that is that we continue to encourage the club to make football affordable. Um, I, I hear a lot of, of noise about the trust do not challenge the club on things like this, but trust me, in the meetings I've been in, we do challenge them. They listen, but so far we've not seen any move on ticket prices. As for Leeds specifically, as a board, we've not met since the tickets went on sale last week. So we have no firm board position other than what I said earlier. We encourage the club to make tickets affordable. Now, I know talking to board members that that opinions range from, you know, scandalous, you know, shouldn't be allowed through to, well, expensive, but not outrageous. And I think that's sort of reflected in some of what I see on social media and what I hear talking to people outside of the trust. Um, the proof will be whether they sell them all. And at the moment, looking last night, there still seem to be an awful lot of tickets there. So you might well be right. It's quite clear to me that the club are pricing for what they perceive to be demand. And thus far, they have sold tickets. So you know, you could argue in terms of supply and demand, they've got it right. But for me, there's more to it than that. There are Fulham supporters who are struggling at the moment. And we need to make sure that football is affordable. Now, what we don't know with this particular fixture is ticket prices for cup games are set in conjunction with the away club. And we don't actually know who has driven the £40 a ticket price here. Maybe it was Fulham, maybe it was Leeds, maybe they both agreed on it as they as they had to eventually. But we can't be certain what's driven the, the the pricing. I do know, looking around at the other games, that I think only Manchester United are more expensive than we are. But uh, it's something we will take up with the club again when we meet with them next week. I mean, ticket prices have been a problem for, for such a while now. And, you know, the club just don't seem to be listening to what the trust is putting forward. And there's been numerous ways, you know, so much feedback and surveys and all these meetings and you know at what point does the trust have to say okay we can't go down this road anymore of just doing surveys speaking to the club dialogue because dialogue's not getting this issue any closer and obviously the ticking time bomb is about three or four months away when the club announces season ticket prices if those happen to be extortionate as well would the trust ever consider slightly more direct action. Should we talk about season tickets and then come back to match day pricing? Because I think that in, in a way they're, they're all rolled into one. I mean, people generally, season ticket holders, I think it's fair to say, are happy with the price for an annual season ticket. There doesn't seem the survey doesn't suggest um, that people aren't happy. We are amongst the cheapest in the Premier League for, for some parts of the ground. And if we just for a moment 
park season tickets as being reasonable. What will happen next year? Well, we, there's two things for next year. One is is the renewal of what I'll refer to as the horseshoe, the Hammersmith end, the Johnny Haynes stand and the Putney end. And then we've got the new asset of the Riverside stand. Now, none of us know, and the club have not given any indication as to how that Riverside stand will be priced. But, you know, it's a trophy asset. It's arguably something that should be priced at a premium. But if it is, then affordable football has got to be available for supporters in other parts of the ground. Now, based on what we've seen historically, the club are not unreasonable in terms of the increases they apply. However, they've given us no indication of what they will be, but we've no reason to believe that any increase will be outrageous, but only time will tell. Now, if we go back to ticket pricing, if match day ticket prices are to be reduced, we would not want to see that at the expense of increasing season tickets to subsidise it. And we're back to the club's model, which is driving income to make the club sustainable financially. And if they can't do that by keeping income up, then costs will have to be cut. Maybe investment in the playing side would have to be cut. So it's it's a difficult balancing act. But in terms of season tickets, we are not expecting any increase to be unreasonable. And if it is, then clearly we will challenge the club. But we're not party to that information as yet. Uh, just one last point there. I would hope this year... It's dangerous to say, but we look reasonably assured of Premier League football next year. So one would hope that there will not be the delay we've seen in previous years in publishing next year's season ticket prices. I mean, this Leeds game is particularly fascinating. I am on the um, ticket website right now. I am looking at a view of H6 and the amount of green dots available seats. It's all over it, isn't it? I had a look last night. It's a lot of green dots. Yeah, and, and... you know, as a, as a trust, I said earlier, we do challenge the club, but challenging is one thing. They have to listen and decide if they want to change. And, and at the moment, they can quite rightly turn around and say, well, we priced the games like this and we've pretty much sold out. Yeah. At the moment, it looks as if Leeds might not do that. And if it doesn't, then that prompts them to have to have a rethink and us to challenge them again at, at you know, why they priced it as they did. What, what I find frustrating is that you can't in, – in the old days, I go back a long time. I've been going to Fulham for years. You used to know what you were going to pay for any game. Mm. Um, and even cup games in those days were priced the same as league games. So you, you knew at the start of the season what it was going to cost you. Now the Fulham model seems to be very much what I would call dynamic pricing, where they look at it game by game and adjust it accordingly to what they think the demand will be. And we've got an example this week where they pretty much sold out for Wolves. So they're sticking another 10 quid on the price of tickets. Now, yeah. I might be wrong, but I don't remember seeing that happen before during the sale window. No, other than on a match day, sometimes they've done quite recently. That's been a trend of the of the price going up, but never two weeks before on an arbitrary date. That does seem um, a bit a bit strange. Not necessarily actually something that I, I actually thought was, was goddamn awful because I would rather there be a window of opportunity for people to get cheaper tickets and normally those will be the more loyal fans. I didn't actually, of all the things that the club have done lately, and I don't agree with a lot, I actually didn't think that was the worst one. Well, you're in a position there, Sammy, where if, if somebody hasn't bought their ticket already and they want to go, it's their own fault if they have to pay 10 quid more because they've had plenty of time to buy it. 
and plenty of notice, as you say. And from from what I read, there's not that many seats left anyway. Yeah. But it, it is frustrating because if, if we come back to season tickets, there are, you know, my season ticket in the Putney end costs me best part of 500 quid a year, call it £26 a game. Match day tickets there can vary between, I think, 55 and £65. So there's a, a big price differential. And when you then look at the loyal Fulham fan base, there are people there who either can't afford a season ticket or do not want a season ticket by virtue of their working pattern. You know, they can't go to every game. Yeah. There's a big difference there between the average of £26 a game I'm paying and having to pay 55 to £65 pounds on a match-by-match basis. And some people just can't afford it. You know, if you've, if you've got a young family, you're not a particularly high-income earner, two boys, you go to football, you know, you're, you're talking coming off for 200 quid for a Saturday afternoon hour. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm a firm, but I, I, the club is a business and I, I understand, you know, they've got to generate income, but football's a bit different. You know, football has, has a following and a loyal following and we shouldn't be pricing some of our more loyal supporters who, for whatever reason, can't afford a season ticket out of the market. Uh, that takes me back to the, my last question, which was at what point or is it on the roadmap for the trust? And I, I, I realise that I'm making you make promises that you might not necessarily get to keep and you are not the Fulham Supporters Trust solely, but has more direct action, boycotts or some sort of display or some sort of more direct action towards the club being considered by the Fulham Supporters Trust, assuming that they're going to continue to not listen to all of the great work that has been given. The club do seem from the outside to be engaging with these meetings in the trust and they're not doing a lot. I mean, ticket prices are the tip of the iceberg, the state of the Hammersmith End concourse, all of these things. There seems to be a lot of repetitive, you give the club feedback and then the club goes, okay, we're not going to action it. So what, what's the next step or is there one? We're, we're always open to considering anything. There was a question in the survey and I was looking for it last night and I couldn't find it, unfortunately, but there was a question there about further action and, and the view of the respondents of the survey. And let, let's be clear here. The, the survey is open not only to trust members, but to ordinary fans. And the results of the last survey showed that I think it was something like 53% of responses were from trust members, thereby 47% were from non-trust members. So you could argue that we've got a broad spread of respondents there. The age profile was pretty well spread. And there was a question in there, and, and there was no suggestion that anybody felt at this particular moment in time any particularly i use the word aggressive that's not the right word but any real tangible protest action was appropriate but that doesn't mean that it can't stay on the agenda and if it's the right thing to do then then it will be considered personally i don't think we're there yet i we've talked about leads we've talked about it not selling out if it doesn't sell out then that prompts a rethink We've got season tickets coming up. Let's wait and see what they show. Then we decide what, if anything, we need to do next. You know, this is a business model. And the business model at the moment is very much being driven by income to try and make the club financially sustainable over time. And we've just got to make sure that if that's what they're doing, we don't lose some of the good family values this club have built up over 100 plus years in making football available to the masses. Yeah, I mean, Simon, there's been some criticism of the Supporters Trust, and that is possibly just on the microcosm that is social media. Um, I know there are younger fans who feel that the Fulham Supporters Trust 
isn't very representative of them. Is there anything you're planning on doing as a chair, a bit of a new lease of life for the Fulham Supporters Trust to get a more diverse group in every sense within the trust? Well, it's interesting you say that because I, I don't recall any comments coming through on the survey that said, you know, we, we, we have a problem not having younger members. If you look at our board, uh, I've been on the board for coming up three years now and we we have improved our male-female diversity split. We're now four, four ladies, eight gentlemen. And we've got an age profile of sort of late 30s to 70s. So we've got quite a ball spread, but you're absolutely right. We haven't got that younger representation. Now, I'm open to anybody telling us how we can do that. It's a democratic process. We have members elected. One thing we do want to do this year is, is every so often we start doing a piece of work, but we have said that if we have a particular piece of work that needs a certain skill set or a certain type of representation, we will go outside of the board to bring people in on an ex officio basis to work with us. Now, that's an opportunity for younger people to come in. You know, I'm always open to somebody ringing me up and saying, what does the trust do? What can I do to help? How do I get involved? But you've still then got to go through an election process. But yes, we'd love some younger blood. It's healthy. We need rotation on the board because that's healthy as well. Otherwise, you become stale um, and opportunities do arise. Um, you know, until now, we've used leaflet drops once a year outside the ground to encourage members. There's the survey, of course, which we encourage people to join. I'm open to, to any ideas. It's not easy to, to reach the younger population. Word of mouth is by far the best way to publicise the trust and the work we do. And we are conscious that a lot of people think we just sit there and, and say things to the club and nothing gets done. We do get listened to. We will hopefully be able to demonstrate some progress over the coming months. But, you know, if, if people feel they've got something to offer to the trust, get them to get in touch with us. What do you think? What do we do? You're obviously younger than me. How would you go about it? Oh, it's not really, um, <laughs> it's not necessarily what I think um, that's, that's, that's important. Um, as you said there, late 30s is as the youngest representation on the on the FST clearly is not a 17 year old, a late 30s year old. And I'm, I'm someone in my 30s now. I wouldn't say I can relate to someone that's 17, 18, but that is a significant part of the fan base that needs some representation and so therefore surely it is important that a way is found and I guess from my point of view things like surveys and leaflets and stuff are probably not the way to reach a, uh, a 17 18 year old these days social media and, and we we discussed at our last meeting our social media policy and we need to push more out through social media about what we are doing um you know I think I'm, I'm old school, given my age, and, you know, I'm used to things like newsletters arriving by email, surveys, as you say, but that's not the modern way to, to, to contact the younger generation. The other thing about um, the trust is, please don't forget, we're all volunteers, and it is quite a time commitment. And, you know, people in their 60s like me, retired, have got more time available than perhaps somebody 17, 18 in full-time education at university you know, they might think, have I really got the time to do that? But, you know, if we can find a way, then absolutely, you know, we'd, we'd like as much diversity on our board as possible. Well, look, Simon, um, it's obviously going to be uh, highly interesting what happens um, with this Leeds game. Um, currently, as it looks, it could be that um, actually... Uh, 
no direct action from the fan base other than people just voting with their feet in their wallets might actually be the uh, the greatest message to the club that's been sent to them in a while and possibly greater than any survey or greater than any protest or whatever that's um, actually how people feel. So it will be interesting to see what happens without wishing that... I want this, you know, I want this FA Cup game to be, you know, well attended because I want Fulham to progress in the cup. It's a kind of catch 22, really. Whilst a message would be lovely at the same time, I don't want to go to, we don't want to see an FA Cup game where there's more Leeds fans than Fulham fans, despite it being a home yeah, match. That's, that's an interesting point, Sammy, because if, if we're struggling to sell, are Leeds struggling to sell? Now, we, we won't know that at the moment. Um, and of course, there, there's other factors at play with Leeds because one, they have a much bigger fan base mm. and two they will have a lot of London based supporters who might not get the opportunity to see them that often but you know if that all sells out which I suspect it will and we struggle what sort of message does that bring home yeah I'm fascinated to see what happens over over the next few weeks and personally I still don't think it's I still don't think it's too late for the club to change their mind make a reversal I mean that's surely got to be on the table if these sales continue well, that's interesting. But what would you then do about the people who already purchased tickets? Vouchers, money back. I'm sure that where there's a will, there's a way. Possibly. And I mean, the other interesting thing, and, and this is, is totally different, is in eight weeks' time, you know, the seat I've secured myself in the Riverside stand to test the experience will cost me 100 quid to watch the same two teams. Likely. Yeah. No, I, I, my, my, feeling, my feeling on the ticket prices, Simon, is that I actually... I actually see what the club was trying to do whilst not agreeing with it. They know that Leeds fans will pack out the Putney end. Therefore yeah. they're charging, they're trying to get an extra tenner for that 6,000 guaranteed. Probably, you know, that they're going to fill it Leeds fans there. Whatever you charge the Putney end, you have to charge the Hammersmith end. So they've gone in with 40 pounds for the Hammersmith end as well. And I think they've tried to think, well, look, if we do the Riverside, and the Johnny Haynes at 40 fat pounds as well, everyone will think that's good value. But I think they're forgetting that ultimately there are still a lot of Fulham fans that don't want to fork out £40 extra on top of every other game that they're going to. This is a bonus. And added to the fact that it's televised on a Tuesday night, I think it's a clear case of just misreading the room. And there's, there's a big difference with the, with the um, broadcasting of the game, Sammy, because this time it's on terrestrial television. Yeah. You know, it's not on Sky, it's not on BT Sport. Therefore, it is available to people who are not satellite channel subscribers. It's ticket pricing will always be emotive. Um, and there are people who just cannot afford in the current environment 40 quid for an extra game, albeit two Premier League sides, FA Cup fifth round, you know, in days gone by, they've been big, big games. And sadly, I think it's part of the way the FA Cup has become a little devalued with, you know, the bigger teams using the opportunity to, to play second string players in that this game is not seen in the same way as the Premier League clash will be seen in eight weeks' time. Um, but we will, we will keep working on it. And, you know, I, I just want people to understand that we do keep raising this, keep raising this. And you're, you're right, it probably needs a catalyst to support what we're saying. And maybe, maybe this is it, where there's unsold seats in the Hammersmith end that, that says, you know, we, we need to think about this. And I guess what will be very interesting... And um, I need to be careful here. You know, if we win and we're at home in the sixth round to maybe a championship or League One club, if there are any left in, what would the pricing look like then? Yeah. 
one last thing before we go. If people listening have anything they want to bring to trust attention, if they want to offer their services, if they've got any ideas, please, please, please use the, the form on our website to get them to us and we will look at them and see what we can do. But we are very, very keen to increase our membership because the bigger the membership of the trust, the more the club will listen to us because we can say, you know, at the moment we're just shy of a thousand members. If we can go in and say we're speaking for three, four, five thousand members, it's far more powerful. Simon, thank you for the chance for the mission. Hopefully have you on again soon. Yeah, look forward to it. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy here back with Jack and Peter. Thank you very much to Simon from the FST for giving up his time to chat to us. Um, Obviously, Jack, uh, despite everything being so good on the pitch, it feels like off the pitch, there are a lot of people annoyed at the moment. And um, interested to find out from you what you're doing about the the Leeds tickets. Have you you bought tickets to the game? Are you going to go? Um, Or do you think that uh, £40 is just too much? I think it's too much, uh, and I'm going to back that up with actions. Uh, it's the day after my birthday. I'd love to be there, but I just can't justify it. I, I just don't think that it's right. And I think that the only way the club will see on this, because we've spoke about it so many times and games get sold out, right? So this is what happens and completely appreciate, you know, people want to see the team in fine fettle and this is a massive game. But I, I think you can see by the sales of tickets in the Hammersmith and the Johnny Haynes, that people are just not taking up these options at that price point. And I'm, yeah, so I think I'm going to vote with my feet on that one. So unless the prices come down, I'm going to be watching from afar. Yeah, I think a lot of people, a lot of people um, have have made that call as well. Uh, it is quite staggering when you go on the website and you see the uh, the empty seats on that. I don't think it'll be the last that you've heard of this uh, ticket debacle going up until the Leeds game in a couple of weeks. Right, let's do some emails and then this will catch on. I promised last week that we would do lots of emails and this will catch on because um, I've got a little bit of a backlog in the old inbox. So we're going to try and get through as many as I can for today. Uh, The first one is from Masson Morgan. Uh, He says, as someone intrigued by the Mbabu transfer and disappointed that it did not work out, where do you think it all went wrong? Uh, When I saw him play against West Ham, albeit in a friendly game, he didn't seem half bad. Uh, Yes, Peter, uh, Kevin Mbabu has left the building. Um, He has gone to Servette. FC in uh, in Switzerland on a loan. That's where he started his career, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, it's the transfer that definitely is the most intriguing one of, of the summer. Uh, it took ages to get across the line as well, and everyone was so excited. We had all the football manager crowd telling us that he's uh, the next the next Messi or Neymar or Mbappe um, because his stats were so good. Um, he did that a brilliant cross against Brentford that landed on the head of Mitrovic. And I think after that, I think everyone was excited. Then he had that game of Spurs and it never looked recoverable. Yeah, it's just not worked at all. Uh, clearly fell out of um, favour, if that's the right way of putting it. Um, and his lack of involvement. I mean, this is the, this is, this is the thing. I mean, I've not, I've not you know, I, there's always rumours around these things and, and whatever, but I've not heard anything myself specifically about him. And um, there were some tactical points about him, whether he'd be a right fit. I mean, the, the Spurs game was really difficult when he played on the left. I think that was that was quite an important moment for him, even though it wasn't his natural position, it was obviously so. Um, and then the Newcastle game being subbed off without any apparent problems at all. Um, 
Bobby Decker Dover Reed taking his place. Bobby Decker Dover Reed is, you know, we've eulogized about his versatility, um, but he's not a right back, especially in a four, naturally, anyway. Um, so to see your place go for someone else, it, it to me suggests there was more to it. But um, yeah, not in the picture. It's good that he's gone to somewhere where he'll play games. I think it's important for Fulham that he plays because they've invested in him as a permanent transfer. So you need to try and retain that value in him, um, even if he's not got a future at Fulham. Um, then, it, you know, looking to the future, you want to make sure that's there. So, um, yeah, a, a, a really strange transfer in the end. No, I don't think we're going to be uh, seeing much more Kevin and Babu. I think that's a loan that's definitely going to mean him shifting out of uh, Motsville Park this summer. Uh, I, I think there's definitely probably a Fulhamish article there somewhere with the um, the worst transfers ever. And I think Babu's going to make the uh, the list alongside the the Metroglus and the um, what was that um, Nordvite? Havard Nordvite, yeah, Lazarmarka. Laser Markovic. We haven't had great luck with players beginning with M. You know, Mitrovic aside, have we? Mitroglu, <laughs> Markovic. I mean, some would put Steve Marley into this category. Yeah. There's At least Marley played. Babu now. You know, this is this is not a good run of players beginning with M, is it? <laughs> no, it's a very good point. It's a very good point. Um, should, um, since we're talking about pledging with M, we should probably mention Alfie Mawson as well. He's obviously retired, sadly, yeah. sadly retired. Go, but that injury. will go down. And, you know, and obviously not completely his fault. And the no. injuries that he he sustained were, were dreadful. And we wish him obviously all the best in terms of what he ever, he decides to do next. But that was a big money transfer for a player on the fringes of the England squad yeah. when we signed him. And it just didn't work out whatsoever, did it? That's got to be from that summer of spending in 2018, the infamous summer. That's got to be the worst spending of the money. And again, not really Mawson's fault. He picked up an injury. But, you know, you think about Anguissa, picked back some of the money. Seri, we at least got one good season out of him. Mitrovic, obviously, has gone on to do good things. Probably Mawson was one of the other people that cost a lot that um he was That's probably summer. one of the, the certainties, though. You, you, when you actually looked at it, apart, aside from Mitrovic, it was a player you'd expect to have done very well because yeah. of Jack was, because at the time, he was a fantastic player on the brink of England. And, um, and I was very excited when we got him. I thought that was... I was I, 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 I'd be lying if I sat here and said, oh, no, I, I saw the Mawson's transfer and thought that was awful at the time. We were all dead excited about Alfie Mawson. We all thought that was a, a brilliant signing. And, and, you know, another Harry Maguire, I think. We all kind of thought... Um, you know, someone that might go on, yeah, to play for England, might be signed by a bigger club. It seemed like such a smart pickup from a rele- from a relegated side. So just have one a, of those things. It's such a shame that he's had to retire because, you know, even even speaking last season, uh, I remember when I spoke to him at the beginning of the season, you know, he said he felt good and he was in the picture and pushing the starting centre-halves to play and um, to just have a, another knee issue. And I, I, I guess this side of the game doesn't get talked about so much about how how much it can impact people and players and their families and everything like that. So I do wish him all the best now that he's taken the decision to retire. And even just reading some of his comments uh, about how he'd fallen out of love with the game and how he'd sort of found it again at Wickham, even for that short time. Um, just hope now that whatever comes next, um, yeah, goes really well for him. 
yeah, be interested to see what his next move is, whether it's either kind of down the, the punditry road or the management road or the coaching road. Um, but yeah, uh, definitely not for a lack of trying, uh, Alfie Mawson. And I, I too thought there was a small chance he might have become one of our starting centre-backs um, last year. Admittedly, I kind of thought he might displace Tim Ream. But um, as we know, uh, that is exactly not what happened. Uh, next question from Sam Purcell. I like this one. I don't necessarily know the answer and I'm not 100% sure where to find the answer short of going back through all of Fulham's matches for a long time. He says, Hiya Fulhamish, one for the stats heads. When was the last time we saved a penalty or had one missed against us? I genuinely can't remember one, which is pretty funny considering our record at scoring them. I can't, and, and Sam then says, I can't find a good website to find this information out easily, but we're very curious to know our overall penalty record post McCormack. The 16-17 penalty debacle was hilarious. I remember knowing we would miss as soon as one was awarded. It's only improved slightly since. Keep up the good work. And that's from Sam. I mean... Jack, I had a brief Google. I honestly cannot think of a penalty save outside of a penalty shootout for forever. I mean, there must be one in there. Yeah, there, there must be one. But I, I again, it stumped it's me. Of the, did, did, we, did Rodex save one last year and the rebound was scored? I don't know if that counts. I don't, remember I don't think there's been one while I've been covering the club. Um, maybe, I'd be maybe. fascinated to know, and I'm sure someone will email or tweet us. Feel well, free to. I'd, well, I'd genuinely yeah. love to know the answer, but nothing off the top of my head is um, is is coming to mind. And yeah, well considering how many we've missed, and like transfer marked has quite good data on penalties scored uh, for a club, so it's quite easy to find out when Fulham missed penalties. So, ah, there, there was one in, fe- in February the 12th, 2020. Marek Rodak saved from Jed Wallace against Millwall at the Den. Was that... I've got no memory of that. Was that the one... Was that one all, that game? It was a one all draw, yeah. Mitrovic scored really early on, didn't he? Yes. And then we, they equalised like two, three minutes later. And then they, they had got a penalty. penalty. Then they got a penalty and missed it. Yeah, saved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there we go. I think that, Sam, that might be your answer, Marek Rodek. Beyond that, though, I'm genuinely, I'm stumped. Absolutely stumped. Wow. I know. Sorry, Marek Rodak. Uh, we've blocked that one out of the, uh, uh, the history books. Yeah, there you go. There's there we go. The very least. There's Jack's very definitely found that. Any more, let us know. Email us or uh, tweet us uh, with the answer to that one. Uh, finally, for the questions, I just wanted to read you this one from Ryan James. Um, I just really like this. It's not really necessarily a question, just a nice email. It says, Ryan says, hello from Arizona in the US. I've been a Fulham fan for about 15 years now. I have to say thank you for all the coverage you lot do. I have no one else to talk Fulham with in my small town and you've become my number one source for what is actually going on at the club. My father passed away last July from a five-year battle with cancer. During those years, I looked to Fulham games and especially your podcast to help take my mind off of things. I can't thank you enough from that, be it a Jack Collins breakdown of why a chant won't work to a Dom Bet away trip review and everything else in between. I always look forward to the podcast, win, lose or draw. Uh, I'm going to my first game in March against Arsenal. Oh, there is a question to this. Uh, where would be the best stand to take in your first Craven Cottage game? Keep in mind, I'll have to bring my girlfriend along, but she does sm- swear more than I do. So there you go. So um, Jack, the answer for Ryan, which stand he should sit in for Arsenal? It's gotta be Hammy. 
Yeah, I mean, my my answer is always the Hammersmith end. I think the the best experience, maybe just sit a little bit lower down. Why? Well, if you if you're wary about about bringing bringing a partner along, maybe that maybe that's maybe it's. I slightly... uh, see. My advice: get get high up, get stuck in. You get a good view from up the top of the Hammersmith end as well. You'll be hard pressed to find many tickets at the top of the Hammersmith end. They're pretty um, they're pretty rare because there's a lot of season tickets there. But that would be my advice, Ryan. Um, also, I mean, you could do the Riverside, but you may need to um, remortgage. Um, but anyway, Ryan, thanks for the kind words on the podcast, yeah, and, really so, and so glad that. Uh, yeah, it managed to get you through some some tough times and uh, I really hope that you enjoy your trip to the UK. Let's do some this'll catch ons. So the first one here is from Brian Lake. This one's pretty short and sweet. He said, hello, Fulhamish. New song for BDR. Short, but easy to repeat and remember. Not too much to it. I hope you like it. It's to the tune of Bob Marley's Three Little Birds. <laughs> well, here we go. Saying don't worry about a thing Cause Decker Devil Reed gonna score tonight Saying don't worry about a thing Cause Decker Devil Reed gonna score tonight Tell you what, cracking voice Very, um, very Johnny Cash Yeah very Johnny Cash um, Yeah, I mean, potentially it has I mean it has, it has all the hallmarks of a song that could could go it's easy to remember people aren't going to get wildly out of time with it although I'm continually surprised um, yeah I mean simple hits the point tune everyone knows I reckon I mean, there's, there's potential for that to catch on I mean you're, you're neglecting your syllable police duties here a bit Jack what's what's wrong with it what's what's wrong with the Am symbols I? Yeah, Decadover Reed, every little thing. It doesn't because Decadover Reed. That's okay, man. It's, it, it's like an accent. Do you know what I mean? You know when you get like a grace note in music and it just like flicks from one to the other. Feels a bit like that. So I think it's okay. Fine. Um, I, I know what you're getting at, and I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate your commitment to the cause. But <laughs> high standards. Is, P, is Peter now the new chief of the syllable police? Is he actually taking your place? Cool, it always right. felt like the natural fit being the um, actual paid journalist on the podcast. I think it's okay. I'm just I'm playing it out of my head. Every little thing is five syllables in the way that it's sung. Decordova read five. Yeah. yeah, but it's because Decker over read though, isn't it? It's not. Yeah, but it's cause, cause. every little thing. Yeah, okay, fine. I thought I was going mad. I was like, hang on. I don't know if it is. I don't know if it is. I think the cinema police can leave that one well alone. That's okay. That's all right. I resign. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'll take my position back. Thank you very much. He's been, he's been chief of the civil police for all of about 20 15 seconds. seconds. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was good fun for a while. Yeah. Um, um, it was real power there. Yeah. <laughs> I like Three Little Birds as a chant, though. Like, I, I like that as a song. Obviously, it's a famous Ajax song. I feel like we could do worse than that as a, uh, as a song, as a template. Whether it's those words, I don't know. But because Deckard Overread does kind of fit. So anyway, the next one is from Connor Rains. He says, greetings, Fulhamish crew. I'm a longtime listener and supporter of Fulhamish and I've always admired this will catch on from afar and feel as if I need to contribute a tune for our beautiful manager. This song is a remake of She's a Maniac. Hope you all enjoy and keep up the great work. Sincerely, Connor Rains. So She's a Maniac is from Flashdance um, originally yeah. by 
Michael Sembello, anyway. Uh, and this one is for our Portuguese manager. Marco's a maniac, maniac for sure. <laughs> and he's cooking up a European tour. Nice. Marco's <laughs> a maniac, maniac for sure. And he's writing his name in Fulham folklore. Nice. I like the poeticism of that last line. That's nice. Um, yeah, I mean, that ain't catching on, but it's, <laughs> it's good. It's good. Yeah. I like I'm it. I'm behind the it. concept. I'm behind it because one of the first pieces I wrote about Marco Silva was that he was a football maniac. was in mm. the headline. So, ah, you know, yeah. Inspired. Hat tip Peter Rutzler. Yes. Maybe um, he didn't realise that actually that you were the inspiration for that song, Peter. Good tune. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure about Good it. Good tune, but I, I, I must don't admit, think it's going to catch on. No. Yeah, I wasn't massively aware of the song. I kind of half knew it in the back of my mind, but I had to Google it, yeah, which is never a great start. Once it's sung, I'm like, oh yeah, that one. That's a, that's a classic. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, I can, I can. I was hoping we'd get some background music to it. It's because the standard of this will catch on is now so high that now it needs to include backing music and all of that. Now, soon we're going to need studio recordings I just only like a for this will catch on. Pop, do you know what I mean? So I actually am mm. higher on that than both of you. I thought that was fun, but it's not catching on. Uh, well, if you like backing tracks, the next one definitely has this. Uh, this go. is from Ben Stupples in West Wickham. We've had Ben on before. He did the Mitrovic Sea Shanty uh, last oh, yeah. year, which you might remember. That was remember. great fun. I enjoyed that um, loads. So Ben has submitted uh, another This Will Catch On. He says, Hi, Sammy. I heard the amazing Tom Kearney song and was inspired to send this to you, which also happens to be uh, a three-minute-long epic. So, yeah, strap in. Uh, he yeah. says, I think it's fair to say the rest of us are all playing for second place after John's entry, but in typical Fulham fashion, it won't stop us having a go. Love the pod and keep up the good work. Uh, this, again, is for Marco Silva. There's a bit of a theme uh, to the late Jeff Beck's hi-ho silver lining. Uh, nice. So not uh, not a massive shock uh, but maybe not with the lyric in the way you'd expect to um 10 out of 10 for passion in this particular effort we're everywhere and nowhere baby well that's where we're at Fulham are in the premier league and we're never looking back Flying across the country on an amazing run. Me trials on fire. We're scoring goals for fun. And it's Marco Silver time. And everywhere we go, we're singing. We'll score more goals than you, cause Metro plays for us. So it's obvious. <laughs> Very good. There's a second Down verse. Craven Cottage, baby. That's the place to be. We'll even give a couple of goals to Brentford. Because we'll score three. <laughs> We're heading back to Europe someday. Just wait and see. So tune in to Gentleman Jim. And watch us on TV, cause it's Marco Silver Time, and everywhere we go, we're singing. We'll score more goals than you, cause Mitro plays for us. 
so it's obvious. Very, very good. Tom Carey couldn't get to the match ball. Marshall Reed does, though. It's so much better for Tom Carey. Thinking right at the death. And Barber with a cross coming in. Mitch, over there! Come on! 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 That is exceptional. That is genuinely exceptional. And it's Marco Silvertime and everywhere we go we're singing. We'll score more goals than you because Mitra plays for us. So it's obvious. There we go. Thank you very much, Ben. Very good. That's exceptional. That's truly exceptional. I love um, that. The commentary bit absolutely sent me spinning. <laughs> it's just beautifully written. Like yeah. magic. I mean, look, I'm a sucker for a high ho silver lining, as people remember from my repeated attempts to get high ho Steph Johansson off yeah, the ground no, years never back. Never caught on, did it? Never really did. Don't worry. We got another one going for Steph. But yeah. it was. You know, genuinely quite exceptional. I really like that. Fair yeah. play, Ben. That's been my, yeah, I, I thought that was brilliant. Fair play to you. Peter? I feel like it's one that wants to be sold, you know, as a, and uh, to be streamed. And I was going to say for CDs, but I mean, bloody hell, that's a wrong decade, isn't it? Cup final song. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Get on tape. Yeah, I mean, when you're throwing in Gentleman Jim like that, I think it's definitely one that needs a bit. It's gone for the professional vibe rather than the, the hammy end vibe. But, um, what I like is it's actually kind of, he's not done that very professionally. I think he's just played it straight off his phone, but he's, <laughs> he's seamlessly done that. I mean, like Rick Rubin couldn't have timed it better. It's, uh, it's wonderfully done. <laughs> Magnificent, beautifully produced, wonderfully written, well executed. Three ticks straight up there in the cannon for me, up there into the Pantheon. That was yeah. exquisite. Well done, Ben. It's all work. England have come to play football. England, I've got one in the bag. Kind of vibes with the uh, the commentary. I'm sure yeah. that's not your sure that's not your favourite song, is it, Jack? Uh, three lines. Oh, you well, you know, everyone has their own choices of, of preferable songs. That's fair enough. <laughs> All right, we'll leave it there for the podcast today. Um, thank you very much uh, for listening. Uh, the podcast will return. Um, Sunday evening, Monday morning, looking back at that Brighton game uh, this weekend. Um, we're now uploading some of our Sunday pods to YouTube. So if you enjoy um, watching your podcast rather than listening your podcast to your podcasts, uh, feel free to, to look out for it uh, on YouTube on, uh, on Monday. Uh, all that's left to do is to thank my guest today, Jack Collins. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sammy. A real pleasure. And Peter Rutz, thank you. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Uh, have a lovely weekend. If you're heading down to the South Coast, potentially see you there. I'm definitely going to do the Lewis way into uh, Brighton, headed to that, that Royal Oak pub. I think it's called the Royal Oak. It's got a tree inside anyway, which is uh, uh, always uh, a fun one. So if you're heading down, enjoy it. If you've got other plans like Jack's mystery surprise holiday, uh, then enjoy those too. Uh, and we'll see you on the next podcast. Come on, you guys. You guys.